You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Brandon Vaughn. He is CEO of Conquer. We're going to talk to him about the business. He both originally inherited, how he's developed it, how he's grown it. Exciting story. I love talking with folks that have been entrepreneurs, have been through the process. There's something about having gone through it yourself that I think gives you a different perspective. But we're going to really talk about culture. We're going to talk about not only how to think about strategy from an external point of view, how do you find customers, but we're going to talk about strategy strategy from an internal point of view. How do you find employees? How do you find your talent? Key issue for service-based companies. So I'm excited for this. I think we're going to learn a lot with that. Brandon, welcome to the program. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce, for having me. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah. So let's start with the story because I know that you got into this business through a series of situations. Um, and I'm <laughs> curious to, to hear the details. I'm curious to hear what it was like for you, what you learned, and then how you've gotten to where you are today. Like, What's kind of the story of growing the company? And then we'll talk a little bit about the work that you do. Sure. Yeah. Well, I've always been involved in the service business. Yeah. Um, I actually grew up in a service business owner's home. So my dad owned uh, a small service business. It was called All Clean Window Service and provided window cleaning services. He started that in 1978. He never wanted to grow more than that owner-operator window cleaner. Yep. And so that was the size of business that he wanted, the size of business he had for about 30 years. And I actually you know, worked full-time with him at the age of 13, homeschooled through high school. So you know, worked with my dad 40 hours a week, did homeschooling through high school, yeah. uh, working getting that part going. So learned a lot about, you know, good work ethic and, you know, valuing customers and just kind of getting that knowledge of the inside of a service business. Yeah, I'm sure. Kind of moved on to a couple other different jobs. But right about 2011, my dad was diagnosed with heart disease. Um, He's on a treadmill and collapsed. Wow. And my dad was in fantastic shape. I mean, really? like, yeah, when you, when you look at him, you would never think that he was, you know, 60 plus years old. Mm-hmm. He was the guy going up and down the ladders all the time, getting up on roofs, cleaning gutters, cleaning windows, great shape, but, uh, just had high levels of stress and mm-hmm. eventually caught up to him. And so yeah, 2011, the doctor told him that he couldn't work physically anymore. So, you know, like I say, my, my dad had a bus factor of one, meaning mm-hmm. if one person got hit by a bus in the mm-hmm. business, the business would end. And that's kind of what it was faced with doing. And at the time, you know, he approached me and, and said, you know, Hey, we're gonna have to shut down all clean. Cause this is what's happening. And it just, it felt wrong to let that happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I bought the business from my dad and, uh, you know, at this point, the business is doing about $100,000 a year in revenue in 2012, bought that business and was like, okay, we're going to grow this thing. I'll take care of you guys. You know, you'll be able to retire. 
and then started this journey of crazy service business entrepreneurship. <laughs> Had no idea what I was doing, but uh, was going to give it a go to try to grow it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, not an uncommon story of people kind of finding themselves in, in the kind of the driver's seat of a business uh, <laughs> yeah. without quite realizing it, and then figure out what the hell do I do? Right. So what, exactly. I guess you know, I'm kind of curious. What were your first thoughts? What did you? What, what kind of strategies or goals did you set? You know, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? <laughs> Well, I was fresh off of a failed business when I went out on my own. I actually, right about 2005, 2006, I started a construction business, which sure. little piece of business advice, if you ever want to start a construction business, do it right before a huge economic crash. <laughs> Perfect timing to do it. So oh, did that Lord. and sure enough, that crash and burned. Yeah. Um, it was really hard on our family. So honestly, I was kind of nervous starting out, at, you know, another yeah, service try. business and kind of getting into it. Yeah. But uh, I remember my five-year plan that I wrote down in this really nerdy Excel sheet of what, you know, year one to year five would look like. And year five, we were going to go, you know, by the time year five came around, we'd go from 100,000 in revenue to like 250,000 in revenue. So I remember both my dad and I looked at that and, and kind of looked at each other and he said, man, you really think that we could grow, you know, that fast? I was like, I don't know. I hope so. I hope that we can grow it that much. It seems crazy. We could double in five years. We're going to, we're going to try for it. Oh and, uh, so my strategies, I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea about systems, no idea about growing a team, leading a team, kind of what was involved. And so 2013 is when I, I read the book, the E-Myth and, you know, kind of had that mind bomb moment. Uh -huh. And uh, that's kind of when everything changed for me and our business really started taking off and, and my strategies and, and goals, you know, changed for the business and we started growing really rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I've talked to people about their, like the, the E epiphany that they have when yeah, they, when they right? read something like that. <laughs> when did you get your E epiphany? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Where like were a you? Tell passage. me about it. I was, what plane were you on? And then like, what, what city right. were you traveling to? Yeah, it is. Like, I, like, I think a lot of folks kind of getting in the business ne never really stopped to think about, okay, well, what does it mean to actually design a business and run a business and manage a business? And yeah. And like, you said, find talent, you know, for the surface-based business is huge. What were some of the, I'm curious, what were some of the personal learnings, like as you had to kind of grow as a, as a leader, as a manager, what things did you realize, you know, worked for you well? What, what skills and kind of approaches and mindsets served you well and, and what didn't and what did you have to kind of change about your your approach? Well, you know, we, we grew rapidly. So 2012, from there with zero employees, we grew to about 70 employees in about five years. Yeah. And, uh, so hired a lot of people, had a lot of crash and burns with my hires, mm -hmm. had no idea what I was doing with hiring, was like way too nice of a boss and had a, a cancer kind of spread throughout my company. Mm -hmm. In fact, at, at one point in time, over half of my employees quit on me within a 30 day time span yep. while we were booked out two months solid in of the course. middle of our busy season. Of course. <laughs> and and I, it's when I had my first panic attack and did what any normal a grown man would do, which is curl up in a ball in a fetal position <laughs> exactly. on a couch and cry. <laughs> uh, you try to avoid all the, all the yeah, uh, substance just, abuse, you know, but yeah. Right. And just, you know, basically blame it all on the employees. You know, employees yeah. suck. I quit. My dad yeah. had a right all along. You know, I should just been, you know, owner operator is so much more simple. And of course he's telling me the same thing oh, too. Course, this is yeah. why I never had employees. <laughs> and so I told you so. Yeah. So it, it actually, but it was, it was a pivotal kind of moment for me because it's, it, it caused me to do a lot of self-reflection into what I was not doing to really foster an amazing company culture. And that, that word company culture didn't really mean anything to me at the time, but I started, you know, reading more books and exploring more and just kind of became obsessed with 
you know, the art of attracting and the art of keeping and retaining and building uh, leaders. And honestly, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we were able to grow so quickly was not because I'm some super smart guy. It's just because I finally let go and, yeah. and decided to hire people that were smarter than me and hire people that could come onto my team and actually be a thought leader and provide value yeah. and uh, not have to feel like I had to do it all. Yeah. Very, very pivotal time. Yeah. Well, and uh, that's a big transition I find with with many owners kind of moving more into the CEO role or CEO mentality is that hiring experts around you that, that actually know more than you do, that are better at things than you are. Uh, and it's not easy. So honestly, some founders don't make it, right? Some founders never never let go of that and are, are right. and end up being their own kind of limiting factor in terms of the growth of the, the growth of the company. And it's kind of one of my favorite Steve Jobs quotes is, is, you know, why I don't hire people to tell them what to do. I hire smart people so that they tell me what to do. Uh-huh. And I think that, you know, most service business owners, when they start really staling and they stop growing and they just kind of flatline a little bit or maybe even start dipping back down again, it's because they feel like they're the ones that have to train all the information that they have in their head to their new employees. So, new team member comes on that's in charge of marketing. Great. I want to show you how we do all of our ads and how we run all of our stuff and how we get all this stuff all set up. And then this is how we have our strategy. And here's a calendar that we use. Whereas like, go find someone in marketing that's scaled a company from 1 million <laughs> to 30 million yeah. and have him come in and have him tell you or, yeah. her or her tell you, here's what you got to do. And I'm going to make it happen. Like, yeah. you know, stop feeling like you got to have all the, uh, the answers and start hiring people that can come in and provide a completely different skill set. you know, round out your team rather than mm-hmm. just trying to you know build out positions just because there's a vacancy in your org chart yeah yeah and how I guess what lessons did you learn or what strategies did you develop to actually hire those people because I think it was it's always hard when you're at that level to hire somebody who's smarter than you how do you, how do you interview for that <laughs> like, like, do you, who tells you that they're smarter than you other than you just don't know what they're talking about so they must be smarter than you like what's that process or how did you learn to kind of go through that finding that figuring out what you needed finding that talent interviewing them getting you know selling them bringing them on board, getting them excited about a company that was in a growth mode so that you could bring them in. I mean, I, that, that's a job, right? I mean, that's a that's a skill that you have to figure out. You know, it's a, it's definitely a skill, but I think it also just involves you keeping your eyes open. I think mm-hmm. what, what too many business owners do is they fish from that pond of 4% unemployment rate, you know, where the people who are unemployed yeah. are in between jobs. And they, when they run the ads, they're not finding people that are actively looking for different challenges and new opportunities. Yeah. You know, and so when you fish in that small of a pond, you're going to be very, very limited with who you can find. And I think that if you were to ask any service business owner, you know, hey, what sets you apart from your competitors, you know, as far as your service? Well, they'd say, well, I'm I'm uniformed and I'm licensed and I'm insured and I have this, you know, competitive differentiator and we're green and we're certified and we're educators and whatever their competitive differentiators are, they at least have some kind of a clear idea on what sets them apart. But they're not asking that same question on what sets my company Mm -hmm. apart from my employees, from my team members. Like what's that sexy hook that would have someone say, whoa, my company doesn't do that. I think I'd rather come work for your company because of the culture, the environment, the opportunity, you know, whatever those competitive differentiators are. And they don't take a look at, you know, what sets them apart. And then, you know, secondly, you just really have to become a headhunter. You have to be mm-hmm. constantly on the lookout for people who are already currently employed and, and go out and, and strategically find where those people are 
and go hunt them and find them and present your opportunity and present those types of things. Uh, my operations manager that we had, I had hunted him and he was working for another company at the time. Mm-hmm. And we actively went and found him and brought him onto the team. Yeah. I'm curious. And what's your take on kind of the philosophy of, you know, hiring for culture and training for skill? Uh, uh, how, how much do you, do you subscribe to that? Or, or how do you, what's your take on when you're looking for people? What are the attributes that you're looking for? That's a good question. I think when it comes to technicians, it depends on the, the, like what position on the org chart they're going to be filling. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, you could hire someone onto your team that's going to fill, you know, a C executive role on your team. You don't want to just necessarily look purely at culture. You mm-hmm. want to look at, you know, experience and background and what skill sets they bring and assets and, and, you know, knowledge they bring into it. Mm-hmm. But then when you start moving down the org chart and you start kind of looking at your lower level entry, you know, technicians and things a hundred percent, almost, almost entirely, you should be looking at culture fit over skill set, you know, yeah. cause skills can be trained, but, uh, the people skills side of things, boy, those, those tend to get locked in when you're about 11 years old and they never change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so those are yeah. I'm I'm definitely a big proponent of that. Yeah, and in terms of where when you go to headhunt, I'm always curious, particularly for industries for companies that are in industries where it's a pretty tight market, um, where you're basically poaching from direct competitors, I guess, have you found strategies or success in kind of adjacent industries and being able to find, you know, people that provide sort of similar type of sort of services in in a, in a way that you could retrain them to your particular service model. Have you had any success there or experiences there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I think that sometimes service business owners, they get caught up too much in, Oh, well, I, I own a plumbing business. Exactly. Therefore, I need to hire someone that has experience in marketing for plumbing businesses. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, not at all. <laughs> in fact, there's, um, have you ever heard of the group called Think Wrong? No, <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> so this is, this is basically, it's like a mastermind group event that someone actually told me about. I don't innately know a lot about the, you know, the organization itself. So uh-huh. if I'm misquoting this concept a little bit, have forgive me. But yeah. basically the concept is, is that they bring in people from all these different, like drastically different industries uh, and they yeah. sit them down at tables. So, you know, you may have a general and a nurse and a landscaper and a, you know, a guy that owns a, a retail shop and they're all sitting at a table and they're describing problems and challenges that they have. And intentionally they shuffle the deck of different industries because you may find some of your best ideas come from someone in an adjacent industry or even a completely different industry uh, with something that they're doing. I mean, that's how innovation can kind of get stirred up. So I think that, you know, that concept is really cool because sometimes we have a tendency to wear blinders and say, all right, I got to talk to everyone else in my own industry and yeah. see what they're doing and, you know, and how they're doing it. Whereas there's some serious value at, at looking at experience from different industries. Yeah. The other thing I find is particularly when you get these kind of geographical limitations, right? Like I'm, I'm surveying a certain area, the people need to live within a certain kind mm. of radius. And if I only, if I just limit my search to plumbers in that, within that, you know, 10 miles. 20 mile area that's within reasonable commuting distance, you know, I'm, I'm competing with everyone else who's looking for plumbers um, right. or I'm going outside of that. Now I've got challenges where I'm, you know, people are have long commutes and stuff. If I can go find, you know, someone who is doing a similar type of service model, but in different industry that maybe isn't doing as well, or maybe
maybe there's a, you know there's just too much talent and and you yeah. can pull from that you can you can kind of stay within these geographical boundaries but actually find talent that the other people aren't competing for and sometimes honestly you can get them for good prices right? yeah, particularly 100%. If, you're, if you're taking someone who's in a lower paid area training them up and getting them a you know higher salary what they would more than they would otherwise be making you're not paying at the top of the market you can pay more at the middle of the market which can give you a financial benefit oh i love that yeah, yeah. oh man bruce that's just, that's gold right there yeah and, and I think that um, I think that what else is interesting is, you know, I mean, like, for instance, in our business to kind of, you know, fit the application on one level, we would intentionally give every single person in our company a business card. But on it, it said, you're awesome. Let's talk. And on the back, it talked a little bit about our company and what we were doing. And they were recruitment cards. Oh, and so anytime my technicians were out in the field and, you know, they were getting their tires changed at the tire shop and they saw this guy just like running out and they were, you know, super customer service, taking care of everything, service with a smile. We would hand a card to that person and say, hey, you know what? You're doing an awesome job. I think that you might be interested in talking with us That's uh, about our opportunity. And, you know, I can guarantee you if you start opening your eyes, you will see amazing employees everywhere. And just because they're at a, at a job does not mean that they are not interested in coming and working for you. It just means the opportunity has not been presented to them, yeah. especially when you start thinking about, you know, how you can truly set your company apart differently for your internal customers, for your employees yeah. and have something, you know, that's really unique that sets you apart. Because I mean, even if you're just a, a small, tiny company and you're like, man, my business is not that sexy. I'm sorry, but a lot of people really love working for small family owned yeah. businesses. Yeah. And that that is a that is a unique offering that yeah. some employees would absolutely love to jump on. Well, and I like it too because you can you play a little bit of the long game, right? Because they may not be looking right. for a job now, but you know you never know. In three months, That's in right. six months, you know they find that card on their shelf. They're like, you know what? I think I'm going to give these guys a call. <laughs> and and you know what? These people have friends, and their friends can often be have similar qualities and traits. You right? So a friend of theirs says, oh, "I'm looking for a job." You know, hey, they've got a card, and they start they start passing it along. So it's got legs, and I like yeah. the idea of that. It's a card; it can get passed. Other people can know about it, and it, and it sticks with them. It stays with them over time. Yeah, absolutely, That's absolutely. Right. When you went out to look for talent, did you find certain things that you knew were really important in your culture and the and the work that you were doing and the services that you provided that were th- things that were really critical in terms of finding that maybe were a little different than just other just general service characteristics? Anything that was unique to your business or how you're how you were operating culturally? I mean, you know, we we had our core values that we had. We had a, a couple different versions of that our our core values uh, spelled hook. So we had a humility, optimism, over deliver and kindness. And, you know, we when we did any interview questions, when we prospected anyone, we always looked for that first trait of humility, you know, to to find out we would ask specific questions, you know, encouraging people during the interview process, like brag on themselves and, you know, find out, you know, what level it was just confidence and what level became really puffing themselves up or if they had a a desire to continue to keep learning, whether they had a a heart to serve others and examples of how they wanted to serve others. Those are specific traits that we kind of looked at culturally wise. Mm -hmm. And we had, we would fire people who are quote unquote on paper, our best performers, um, as far as how much revenue or something they would do, we would let them go if they weren't a culture fit. So if you demonstrate that you live by those culture rules and don't have those little exceptions to, well, you know, so-and-so <laughs> is just a really, you know, he's Classic. he's our best producer. Oh. So that, you know, I, he yeah, a he's a million dollars a business a year. We can't get yeah, rid of him. Yeah. He's, uh. he's a little rough around the edges and yeah, he's that. But I mean, you're just setting the wrong example as being in charge of your company culture. And, you know, those things add up and they matter and yeah. they can cause 
cause your other good employees to quit because of, you know, one or two team members that don't embody what your core values are. Yeah, yeah, no, then I think too many leaders make that error, right? It's kind of the short term, the short term win, you know, I keep I keep the revenue coming, but you know, long term loss, you know, you're, you lose good talent, you know, your best people end up not sticking around. It's harder yeah. to hire, you know? Yeah. And I think the really unique challenge right now with service business owners is that because of, you know, the economic situation and also uh, the generational challenges that, that uh, a lot of CEOs and leaders of service business owners don't know how to overcome. They don't know how to motivate millennials. Mm-hmm. They don't understand millennials. Yeah. They don't understand the benefits they bring to the team. They just focus on the negatives yeah. that, you know, supposedly they have. Yeah. I think in those types of situations, you have these leaders that just refuse to adapt to kind of these new new changes and new markets. Mm-hmm. And because they kind of feel like they're held hostage by their employees because they can't seem to find new, quote unquote, good employees, like they don't exist. They're just unicorns that, you know, you can't find <laughs> anywhere. You know, they, they end up getting into a position to where they can't fire the low performers because they're like, I can't get someone else. And when you're in that position where you're kind of held hostage by your employees, you're in big trouble. And I think a lot of people, they aren't looking at their recruitment funnel for getting new employees, especially in a service-based business. They're not viewing that as always being open and always, you know, pouring advertising budget into it and running it as if it was a marketing campaign, you know, which makes a big difference because if you can't, he who markets wins in business and and currently right now, he who markets best to get good employees is going to be the one that wins too. Yeah, I have this conversation all the time with CEOs who are, they're complaining about, you know, they're complaining about their CFO or their, you know, marketing person or a salesperson and they're just, they're just like, oh, and they don't do this and they don't do that. And I'm like, okay, well, what's your option? They're like, I don't have an option. I'm like, okay, well then there's no point talking about this until you have an option. Like the first thing you need to do is go out and find some options. The moment you have options, we can start talking about what you're going to do because, you know, yeah, you're, you're basically hostage. And I personally have a theory is that you should always have at least two people in mind for all of your senior folks on your team, right? You should have one mm-hmm. internal and one external for who could take that role if that person decides to leave or you decide they're no longer fulfilling the, the role parameters. Like you need those options and that's an ongoing oh, task yeah. that you have. If Because if you don't have options, you don't have choice. Oh, that is so good. Yeah. 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 Everyone everyone in your company needs to be replaceable. Yeah. Even you as the owner, which yeah. is kind of a crazy thought, but it's true. And you yeah, have to well, have if, if you want to, I, I tell that with the high growth companies, I tell this everyone on the senior team, I said, like, everyone here at this table needs to find someone who's going to take their job in within 12 months, because in 12 months, you're going to need a new job. If we're growing the company, you're going to have a different job. Someone needs to replace that. And if you don't have a replacement to take your position, then we're going to hire somebody over you, because Mm. that's the only way we're going to grow the company. And if we're not growing the team, then we've got to bring in other people at a higher level. And that, and that usually gets <laughs> usually gets them going I love that approach. <laughs> yeah. I know and, and people fire. they yeah, I think it you know it all comes down to, you know, even how well they're they're uh, looking to mentor someone else yeah. in the business, how much they're, you know, looking to spend in the training for their replacement, yeah. how much they're looking to invest in making sure that everything's documented well enough so that if they did leave tomorrow, there wouldn't be this huge void and this huge gap inside mm-hmm. the business. Yeah. I love that approach. That's awesome, Bruce. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So you spent many years growing this own business. Now you're out there helping companies deal with this growth, deal with the process, the challenges that you that you had to deal with. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do today with Automate Grow Sell and how you're going in and helping companies with the growth process. Who do you work with? How does the process work? Sure. So we work exclusively with home services business owners. So, uh, you know, the cleaning companies, the landscaping, painters, plumbers, electricians, uh, pest control, anyone that's related to, you know, that side of the 
service industry. And our primary focus is, you know, really helping business owners uh, get more time freedom. Because I think the hard part is, is that especially in the home services industry, most people who go into business go into there because they're really good at the thing. Yeah, they're really good at the, the, the service. And that's probably why they started their business was because they liked it or they were doing it as an employee or it just the opportunity presented itself. And so they decided to take a, a jump in. But all the sides of the business that requires, you know, the the systems and the other team members and the marketing components and the admin systems and, you know, the production teams and, and the checklist and the training, that whole side of it is really, really overwhelming. And as I was growing my business and we were growing relatively fast for, you know, a small service business, I spent probably over a thousand hours creating checklists and documents and systems and handbooks and, uh, you know, inventory systems and uh, offer letters and, and you name it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's hundreds upon hundreds of documents and tools and systems that you need to be able to scale along with strategies and marketing plans and everything else. So while I was in the course of creating all those things, as I started doing more speaking and getting out involved in, in more coaching, I found that everyone needed this yeah. and everyone needed to put these things together. And when they started taking some of those resources that we already had done and putting them, plugging them into their business, uh, they immediately saw rapid growth. And so, uh, so that's what we do. We help home service business owners uh, live an entrepreneurial balanced life. We want people to spend more time with their families and to get off the trucks and to uh, get out of the office and put an executive team in place and, and hire out a team and, uh, and to grow and mm-hmm. to have more time freedom. And so uh, we do that through coaching and also some digital courses and other things that we offer. The main big difference with us is all of our coaches that, that uh, coach our home service business owners, they are all seven and eight figure home service business owners themselves. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they know they're sitting like. down. Yeah, they're sitting down on a weekly basis with our, you know, conquerors and sitting down and, and going over exactly where they're stuck and just helping them move the ball down the field. What do you find as being some of the typical challenges, you know, folks that, that you know, found service-based businesses, you know, home businesses, and when they go to grow or go to kind of expand the business, what are some of the typical things that come up for those folks? Uh, typically what ends up happening is there's like, there's, there's different thresholds. Usually it has to do with around uh, revenue and kind of where they're at. And every single one of these thresholds end up being, you know, a, a hard glass ceiling to kind of punch through, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're trying to break your first million or trying to get through that next one to 5 million or, you know, wherever that looks like, usually we find it has to do with people and mm-hmm. being able to yeah. find them, put them in there and then setting them up for success. A lot of business owners, service business owners, especially, are very good at delegation by abdication. So, you know, just be like, man, really sucks to be on the field. All right. Hey, you got a pulse. Now you're going to start doing the field work and, you know, don't set them up for, you know, with, with training programs and don't have any strategy and thought into what day one looks like and what their first month looks like and, and, you know, setting them up to win. So I think that the big thing that service business owners can do is try to focus on what can I put in place to make my employees better and happier by giving them cheat sheets and checklists and and, and things to make them perform better. You know, yeah. How can I set them up for success? And yeah. that's really where, to me, a, you know, a CEO's best position is in the company is to empower your team to win. Yeah, and it's surprising how many companies don't have stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And, and for an employee, I mean, I, for me, it's a differentiating factor. Like as an employee coming into something like that and seeing seeing a ninety day plan, a hundred day plan about where you know here's the training program, here here's how you're gonna learn how to do the job, here's the sport you're gonna get, here's the reference material. Like, right. If you come in an organization like that, you'll never want a new job again. <laughs> like, yeah, you, I know. You just it's don't want to go back out in the market. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. It's a big yeah. one. And then and also, I think um, you know, really understanding your financials. 
you know, understand, you know, putting together a budget, planning, forecasting, you know, for your cash flow. I think a lot of business owners, service business owners especially, end up getting stuck, you know, just because they don't have a really great grasp on their numbers and yeah. making sure that they're actually a scalable business. When you're small and even an owner operator, it doesn't really matter how much you make per hour. When you start exactly. growing a team and yeah. get more people on there, you have to watch your cogs and your supplies and, yeah. you know, and make sure that those things are set up. So we spend a lot of time educating and coaching people on, you know, laying out a budget and making sure they have a good business model they can scale before they start scaling. Yeah, I'm always surprised how many companies, say on the sub million, sub two million dollar level, you know, I'll ask them, they'll talk about a project or a job that they're doing and I'll ask them well how profitable is the job <laughs> they'll oh. do the look at me with these glazed over eyes know, and know. you know this whole idea of well, well how much money are you making are, are you making money on this job are you, do you know if can you add that extra service can you not add extra service I mean was it you know budgeted properly <laughs> was it executed and, and just all this unit cost economic you know being able to understand project costing and project right. profitability yeah that can be a game changer once you start figuring that stuff out at a company right. level things start happening <laughs> yeah it's still boggles the mind that they don't teach how to yeah. do a budget, how to read a profit and loss in school. Like, uh, why are we teaching our, our kids this? I'm teaching my kids this. I'm yeah. sure you're probably teaching your oh, kids yeah. this too if you got kids because it's oh yeah, it's just such, such a critical part of making sure that, I mean, it affects everything. I mean, we teach our technicians, we teach all of our employees how to read a profit and loss and see how they impact the business. Yeah. I mean, we share, we pass out profit and losses and, and go through and teach them exactly how to read it. Uh, we focus a lot on the education with our own internal employees. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's funny, you, you mentioned the kids. My son has been into uh, sneakers, you know, buying and selling sneakers. And he had this this one deal <laughs> so and he was awesome. so happy. He was like, you know, I made $80 on this sneaker. And I was like, okay, well, so how long did it take you to find it? How much time did you put into it? What was the shipping cost? Do you have to buy the box? Do you find the box? You know, we went through it. And at the end of the day, he, you know, he was making like $2.80 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, so how many of those do you want to do? <laughs> oh, I love, dude. You me, I sound exactly alike because I I know it's we're we're good at it's entrepreneurial dads of crushing our kids uh, <laughs> crushing our kids realities. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's, it's uh, right. Oh, I mean, it's a lesson. It's, well, you got to do it because. But then you look at other things. You're like, okay, what else? You could mow lawns. Well, how much is that? How much are you gonna make? How much you know? It's like you know. You start comparing these things. Then you start asking the questions. Well, what's more fun, right? And how much is fun worth, right? Is that worth five dollars an hour? Is it worth ten dollars an hour, right? So it becomes a really fascinating conversation. I love that you're doing. Yeah, that's. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Any entrepreneurs that are listening to this right now, you need to go and you need to talk to your kids. You need to teach them this stuff. You got to put this stuff. Just imagine the the shortcut in life that that gives when it comes to understanding some of these concepts. I mean, it's such a cool gift to be able to give your kids. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Love Excellent. it. Well, this has been fun. If people want to find out more about you, about Conquer, about Automate Grow Sell, what's the best way to get that information? Well, you reach out to us, www.agsconquer.com. And then if you throw a slash SUS on there for scaling up services, we have a, a few free resources that we'll give your listeners. Um, one of them is my favorite thing. It's a it's a, called a small business snapshot report. And it basically has 40 different questions to ask yourself and, and rate yourself Ooh, on a scale like of it. 1 to 10 to kind of see how systemized your service business is and marketing, admin, production, and sales. So if you go hop over there, we'll have a, a page there where you can just download it. No strings attached and uh, check it out. Great. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Brandon, this has been a great conversation. 
um, fun conversation, but I think more importantly, just good value for the listeners. And you know, anyone in service-based business is going to get a couple of really good takeaways on this. And hopefully they go over and check out the resources that you have on the URL. I highly encourage everyone to go do that. And thank you for the time today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.